1: Welcome to the TD Bank Group Q1 2021 Earnings Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Jillian Manning. Please go ahead, Ms. Manning.
2: Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon and welcome to TD Bank Group's first quarter 2021 investor presentation. We will begin today's presentation with remarks from Barrett Nasrani, the bank's CEO, after which Riaz Ahmed, the bank's CFO, will present our first quarter operating results. Ajay Bangawale, Chief Risk Officer, will then offer comments on credit quality, after which we will invite questions from pre-qualified analysts and investors on the phone. Also present today to answer your questions are Terry Curry, Group Head, Canadian Personal Banking, Greg Bracca, President and CEO, TD Bank, America's Most Convenient Bank, and Bob Dorrance, Group Head, Wholesale Banking. Please turn to slide two. At this time, I would like to caution our listeners that this presentation contains forward-looking statements that there are risks that actual results could differ materially from what is discussed, and that certain material factors or assumptions were applied in making these forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements contained in this presentation represent the views of management and are presented for the purpose of assisting the bank's shareholders and analysts in understanding the bank's financial position, objectives and priorities, and anticipated financial performance. Forward-looking statements may not be appropriate for other purposes. I would also like to remind listeners that the bank uses non-GAAP financial measures to arrive at adjusted results to assess each of its businesses and to measure overall bank performance. The bank believes that adjusted results provide readers with a better understanding of how management views the bank's performance. Barrett will be referring to adjusted results in his remarks. Additional information on items of note, the bank's reported results, and factors and assumptions related to forward-looking information are all available in our Q1 2021 Report to Shareholders. With that, let me turn the presentation over to Barrett.
3: Thank you, Jillian, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. It's been almost a year since the COVID-19 pandemic transformed our lives. As we continue to witness its uneven impacts on the world around us and our own results, I'm proud of how the bank has managed through this period and of the resilience and commitment shown by our 90,000 colleagues around the globe. TD started the year strong, as we continue to execute on our strategies in an uncertain environment. First quarter earnings were $3.4 billion and EPS was $1.83, up 10% from a year ago. Provisions for credit losses declined significantly, reflecting an improving economic outlook as well as the impact of ongoing fiscal and monetary support for the economy and the sizable addition to our allowance for credit losses last year. While spending and payment volumes in our banking businesses remained below pre-crisis levels, fee income pressures eased and deposit growth remained strong. And our wealth, insurance, and wholesale businesses had another banner quarter, reflecting continued high levels of customer engagement and market activity. These strong results further bolstered our balance sheet, with our CET1 ratio climbing 50 basis points to 13.6%, and our liquidity coverage ratio ending the quarter at 139%. Overall, a powerful testament to the strength of our diversified business model. At TD, we believe banking serves a higher purpose, and we continue to fulfill ours, enriching the lives of our customers, colleagues, and communities. From the depths of the crisis last spring to the recovery that is now emerging, we've empowered our people to execute with purpose and impact on behalf of our customers and clients. We have helped facilitate uh, government programs that remain a lifeline for so many households and businesses, and we have provided ongoing support for our communities. We know the recovery is not yet on solid ground. COVID-19 and its new variants remain a reality. Many households are still struggling, and businesses, especially small businesses, will need additional support after these long months of disruption. It is too early to predict when we will see a full recovery, but we are encouraged by the progress on vaccination globally. As it proceeds, accompanied by effective testing and improving treatments, the foundation for a sustained recovery will continue to take hold. We are seeing the evidence already in rising consumer and business confidence, increasing customer activity levels, and a steepening yield curve. While we expect that households will maintain their high level of savings in the near term, there is significant pent-up demand to spend after these long months of inactivity, as well as the capacity to do so. And we will be there to advance the recovery, supporting our customers in good times as we did last year in those most difficult circumstances. In the meantime, we remain vigilant. Across the bank, we are maintaining and enhancing measures to protect and serve our customers and colleagues adding new digital and advice capabilities to deliver the financial services they need while supporting the recovery in all of our markets. We are also investing in a better future. We know that healthy economies require healthy communities and that an inclusive and sustainable recovery is the only path to long-term prosperity. That's why last fall we launched an ambitious climate action plan to support the global effort to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. We're also intensifying our focus on diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism, working to remove barriers and create opportunities for everyone to thrive, as well as continuing our internal conversations about what each of us can do, most recently through our Black History Month events and initiatives. And in every community across our footprint, We're investing in new programs, bringing our financial resources, talent, and know-how to help solve problems, and partnering with community organizations to build their resilience. This quarter, that included providing $10 million in grants to 15 organizations through the TD Ready Challenge to help them develop innovative solutions to address the inequities laid bare by the pandemic. And through the TD Ready commitment, We continue to make progress toward our target of $1 billion in giving by 2030. Collectively, we are putting the power of TD's proven business model in the service of a better future for everyone. We're also transforming the way we work today. COVID has led to accelerated change across our business and our footprint. Shifting customer demands, colleague aspirations, and economic realities are creating, a new, creating new challenges and opportunities, and we are meeting them head-on with new investments to improve the speed and agility of our operations, nurture and develop our talent, and grow our businesses. These forward-focused investments are already delivering concrete outcomes across the bank, strengthening our connections to customers and clients, and seeding the next phase of our growth. Let me share a few highlights from each of our businesses. A Canadian retail segment earned $2 billion this quarter. In the personal bank, the power of our omni-channel strategy was on full display as we generated very strong mortgage originations and checking account growth while maintaining our digital leadership. TD's banking app took top spot for customer experience, engagement, and adoption according to AFANI, Comscore, and Novantis Epiphany respectively, and we made further enhancements this quarter, integrating AI into the app. In two recently launched use cases, eligible customers received personalized, proactive advice based on their transaction patterns, including low balances and upcoming payments, providing further support for their financial well-being. Our business bank continued to be the number one CBA lender, with nearly $10 billion in loans funded as of January 31st. We also advanced our growth strategy this quarter, announcing an agreement to acquire Wells Fargo's Canadian Direct Equipment Finance Operations. The transaction, which we expect will close in the first half of calendar 2021, subject to regulatory approvals and closing conditions, will expand our mid market presence in this key business line and add scale in new geographies. In our wealth business, we had another strong quarter for customer acquisition and generated a record $12 billion in retail net asset growth across the franchise. In TD Direct Investing, customers are responding to the enhancements we made to our industry-leading web broker platform, including expanded educational resources to help them build their investing knowledge. Addressing the growing demand for sustainable investing, TD Asset Management also added three new ESG ETFs to its product lineup, And in our insurance business, a direct-to-consumer digital-first offering continued to drive strong customer acquisition and premium growth. A U.S. retail bank earned $615 million U.S. dollars this quarter. Core consumer checking growth remained exceptionally strong, up more than 30% from a year ago, as customers continue to choose TD for their banking and savings needs. Reflecting our commitment to the small business recovery, we continue to facilitate access to the Triple P program, accepting over 25,000 applications, representing $2 U.S. dollars in funding as round two of the program got underway. Delivering more of the bank to our 9 million-plus commercial and consumer customers is central to our continued success in the U.S. market. To that end, we merged our corporate and specialty banking teams with the commercial organization this quarter, to strengthen our competitiveness in key industry verticals and drive further portfolio growth. Combining corporate and specialty banking's expertise in priority growth areas like asset-based lending, equipment finance, healthcare, and commercial real estate with a commercial bank's capabilities in middle market, community, and small business lending will help us scale our core businesses and build the commercial bank of the future. We were also proud to see TD Auto Finance in the U.S. receive the highest ranking in dealer satisfaction among national non-captive lenders with prime credit, according to the J.D. Power 2020 U.S. Dealer Financing Satisfaction Study. And we booked our first share of net income from Schwab this quarter. It contributed 161 million U.S. dollars in earnings, bringing U.S. retail segment earnings to 776 million U.S. dollars or $1 billion Canadian dollars. Our wholesale segment and another strong quarter, earning $437 million as the investments we've made to broaden and deepen our client base and product capabilities enabled us to do more business across our global platform. In our Canadian business, we were proud to be the lead left book runner on Air Canada's $912 million share offering. In the U.S., we advised NASDAQ on its 2.8 billion U.S. dollar acquisition of Verafin. And from our new Dublin base, we acted as joint lead manager on the European Union's second shore issuance, a dual tranche 5-year and 30-year transaction with total volume of 14 billion euros. It's the largest SSA transaction TD Securities has underwritten to date and highlights our continued growth and success serving our European clients. Overall, I'm very pleased with our start to fiscal 2021. As I look ahead to the balance of the year, I'm encouraged by the gathering evidence of a recovery and our ability to make the most of it. My confidence is reinforced by the power of our model, the clarity of our purpose, and the strength of our people. I'll end by thanking them. Our people are our greatest assets. Through a challenging year, they were there for each other and our customers sustaining and strengthening our winning culture. Together we've come a long way over the past year, and as 1TD, we are well positioned to meet every challenge and continue to build the better bank. With that, I'll turn things over to Rias.
4: Thank you, Bharat, and good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to slide eight. This quarter, the bank reported earnings of $3.3 billion and EPS of $1.77. Adjusted earnings were $3.4 billion and adjusted EPS was $1.83. Revenue increased 2%, reflecting volume growth in the personal and commercial banking businesses and higher wealth, insurance, and wholesale revenue, partially offset by lower margins in the retail businesses. Provision for credit losses, were $313 million, down $604 million sequentially, mainly reflecting lower performing PCL. Expenses increased 6% year over year, primarily reflecting an increase in the retailer program partner's net share of the profits from the U.S. strategic cards portfolio from lower PCL and U.S. store optimization costs. Please turn to slide nine. Canadian retail net income was $2 billion, up 14% year-over-year. On an adjusted basis, net income increased 12% year-over-year. Revenue increased 1%, reflecting higher wealth and insurance revenue, and higher loan and deposit volumes, partly offset by lower margins. Revenue was up reflecting higher transaction and fee-based wealth revenue, higher insurance revenue and higher loan and deposit volumes, partly offset by lower margins. Average loan volumes rose 4%, reflecting growth in business and personal, including record result originations. Average deposits rose 21%, reflecting double-digit growth across all businesses. Wealth assets increased 7%, reflecting market appreciation and new asset growth. Margin was 2.65%, a decrease of six basis points from the prior quarter, reflecting changes in asset mix and the impact of lower rates. Total PCL was $142 million, down 43% sequentially, reflecting lower performing and impaired PCL. Total PCL, as an annualized percentage of credit volume, was 12 basis points, a decline of 10 basis points, quarter over quarter. Reported expenses increased 1%, and adjusted expenses increased 2%. Please turn to slide 10. U.S. retail segment reported net income was U.S. $776 million. The U.S. retail bank's net income was $615 million, down 14%, primarily reflecting lower revenue and higher expenses, partially offset by lower PCL. Revenue decreased 5%, reflecting lower deposit margins and fees, partially offset by volume growth and income from SBA Triple P loans. Average loan volumes increased 5% year-over-year, mainly reflecting growth in business loans relating to Triple P originations. Deposit volumes excluding sweep deposits were up 28%, including 33% growth in core consumer checking, and sweep deposits were up 38%. Net interest margin was 2.24%, down three basis points sequentially. Total PCL, including only the bank's contractual portion of credit losses in the strategic cards portfolio, was U.S. $103 million, down 76% from the prior quarter. The U.S. retail net PCL ratio was 25 basis points, down 76 basis points from last quarter. Expenses increased 9%, primarily reflecting U.S. $76 million in costs associated with the closure of approximately 80 stores announced during the quarter. The bulk of the closures will occur in Q2 and will result in approximately U.S. $60 million in additional costs next quarter. The contribution from TD's investment in Schwab was U.S. $161 million compared with the contribution of U.S. $152 million from TD Ameritrade a year ago. Amortization of acquired intangibles and acquisition and integration-related charges associated with the the Schwab transaction are reported in the corporate segment. Please turn to slide 11. Wholesale net income was $437 million, an increase of 56%, reflecting higher revenue, partially offset by higher non-interest expenses. Revenue was $1.3 billion, up 25%, primarily reflecting higher trading-related revenue and higher loan, underwriting, and advisory fees. PCL increased by $26 million sequentially, reflecting an increase in impaired PCL relative to recoveries in the prior quarter. Expenses were up 9%, primarily reflecting higher variable compensation. Please turn to slide 12 corporate segment reported a net loss of $197 million in the quarter compared with a net loss of $227 million in the first quarter last year. The year-over-year decrease reflects a higher contribution from other items, partially offset by acquisition and integration charges related to the Schwab transaction. The increase in other items primarily reflects higher revenue from Treasury and balance sheet management activities this quarter, and an unfavorable adjustment related to hedge accounting in the same quarter last year. Net corporate expenses were flat compared to the same quarter last year. Adjusted net loss for the quarter was $94 million compared with an adjusted net loss of $168 million in the first quarter last year. Please turn to slide 13. The CET1 ratio ended the quarter at 13.6%, up 50 basis points from Q4. We had strong organic capital generation this quarter, which added 37 basis points to CET1. Actual actual gains on employee benefit plans added nine basis points, and unrealized gains on fair value through OCI securities added another five basis points. The five basis points increase in CET1 attributable to lower RWA net of FX, was primarily a function of lower credit and market risk RWA. As noted last quarter, Ausfee's transitional adjustments for expected credit losses reclassified from Tier 2 to CET1 capital was previously subject to a 70% scalar factor, which declined to 50% for 2021 effective this quarter. This reduced our CET1 ratio by 14 basis points. Leverage ratio was 4.5% this quarter, and the LCR ratio was 139%, both well above regulatory minimums. I will now turn the call over to
5: Thank you, Riaz, and good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to slide 14. Gross-impaired loan formations were 16 basis points, stable, quarter over quarter, at cyclically low levels, reflecting the ongoing impact of bank deferral and government economic support programs. Please turn to slide 15. Gross-impaired loans were $3.06 billion of 42 basis points, stable quarter-over-quarter. Please turn to slide 16. Recall that our presentation reports PCL ratios, both gross and net, of the partner's share of the U.S. strategic card credit losses. We remind you that credit losses recorded in the corporate segment are fully absorbed by our partners and do not impact the bank's net income. The bank's PCLs in the quarter were 316 million or 17 basis points, representing a 15-year low, reflecting the ongoing impact of bank deferral and government economic support programs, and a performing allowance release. Please turn to slide 17. Banks impaired PCL increased 106 million quarter over quarter, primarily reflected in the U.S. credit card portfolios and largely recorded in the corporate segment. Performing PCL decreased 711 million quarter over quarter, largely due to lower provisions in the commercial lending portfolios and allowance releases in the consumer lending portfolios. Please turn to slide 18. The allowance for credit losses decreased 437 million to 8.9 billion quarter over quarter, reflecting the impact of foreign exchange, resolutions of impaired loans in the wholesale segment, and performing allowance releases in the consumer lending portfolios related to improvement in our macroeconomic forecast and client credit attributes. Partially offset by management overlays to address ongoing elevated uncertainty. Now to summarize the quota. Key credit metrics, including gross-impaired loan formations, gross-impaired loans, and the provision for credit losses were all at cyclically low levels this quarter. Going forward, we may see credit results vary by quarter as the ultimate magnitude and timing of the pandemic-related credit impact remains uncertain, and there is a wide range of possible outcomes. To conclude, we are well positioned to manage through these challenging times, given the significant addition to our allowance last year a strong capital position, and a broad diversification across products and geographies. With that operator, we are now ready to begin the Q&A session.
1: Thank you. We will not take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star two. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause for the participants register. Thank you for your patience. And our first question is from Paul Holden from CIBC. Please go ahead.
6: Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I have a couple questions for you, I guess, related to expenses. So you you highlighted the branch optimization and the quarter and the costs that are going to run through this quarter and next quarter related to that. What I want to ask you about is what is the expected cost savings on the other side? Um, Will that flow through? Um, Will that be offset by ongoing investments in technology or otherwise? And then where do you think you can ultimately take the efficiency ratio for the U.S. uh, banking segment over time?
3: Greg, you're, there, you're on
7: the line? I am. I am. Paul, can you hear me, I hope? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good. Well, thank you for the question. So, uh, yeah, I do appreciate it. Um, uh, we did have um, a notable item, obviously, uh, in the quarter for store restructuring, and uh Uh, obviously it was a larger uh, impact to the number of stores that we will be closing relative to the normal pruning we would do annually for the last several years. So we've announced that we will be shutting down 82 stores. And the impact of those 82 stores, given the IFRS accounting rules uh, for the charge for the real estate, for the closure of those stores, will be charged from uh, the couple of quarters between the time it's announced and the time they're actually closed. So obviously once we announce those closures we have a ninety day disclosure period and all sorts of regulatory uh, uh, check boxes that we we must include and uh, the stores will be uh, most of them will be closed later in April so you'll also see an impact of that as you noted in the second quarter. Um, the way I think about those is uh, is is really uh, the view of how do we see our network uh, from Maine to Florida over the next several years? Which are the stores that we believe were either redundant uh, or that we could optimize with other nearby locations? Um, and how do we think about uh, harvesting that expense save and really making sure we're reinvesting that back into the business for further growth? And as we've been talking about it for the last several quarters, really for the last several years, investing in digital platforms on the consumer side, small business initiatives, and certainly uh, a growth in our commercial and wealth and wealth businesses. Um, I think the one thing that uh, uh, COVID has taught us is that um, our customers want access to us, but they want it always. They do want physical, and we're seeing many of our customers return into the store, and we're bullish on that. And you'll see markets in future years where we continue to invest in new stores but what you're also seeing is uh, the need for investment in digital and and, and digital capabilities. uh, And we're doing just
6: that. Okay. Thank you. And then the second part of the question was sort of the longer term outlook for the efficiency, operating efficiency uh, ratio in in U.S. Bank.
7: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's obviously two parts to that, and I'll let Riaz jump in if he wants to add anything to this. But, um, You know, obviously the efficiency ratio over the last uh, several quarters has crept up, but that's mostly because of the revenue line. And as you've noticed, that um, if you back out the uh, notable item here for the stores, the way we like to think about it is, you know, we're running something close to break even expenses from a year over year, and those numbers will obviously bump around from quarter to quarter depending on initiative. Uh, But efficiency ratio will come back down uh, as, uh, you know, we see volumes come back up. and and as we see any relief on the rate side or or, or we continue to grow out of it from a volume perspective. I think if you went back pre-COVID, you would have seen the efficiency ratio in the low to mid-50% range. Uh, And I don't know, Riaz, if you have anything else you want to add to that.
4: No, you've covered it, Greg. I think, uh, Paul, uh, as we see rates uh, starting to uh, normalize again, I I think it's entirely possible to get back into the low 50%.
1: Thank you. And the next question is from Manny Grauman from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
8: Hi, good afternoon. Riaz, when, when I do the straight math on your PTPP earnings, uh, it looks like it was down 4% year over year, but I'm, I'm wondering how you think about it. Specifically, I'm curious about the impact of the strategic card portfolio uh, on this calculation and also on the, the leverage ratio.
4: Yeah, uh, thank you, Manny. Look, uh, I think there are uh, three things that uh, you should uh, look at when uh, looking at uh, PTPP and operating leverage. First is the currency impact. So if uh, you simply uh, take our expenses uh, for the U.S. uh, segment uh, from Canadian dollars to source currency, that would be uh, the first adjustment that I'd suggest uh, would be worth looking at. Uh, secondly, I think the store closure costs that uh, Greg just mentioned, uh, you know, to to the extent that one can think of those as one-time costs, I don't think they should, uh, in our view, um, figure into PTPP or operator leverage. And then the strategic card portfolio, which I'll uh, just walk through in a second, uh, the, the, the component of the Uh, payment that we make to the retailers that goes to change in PCL uh, should also perhaps be adjusted out of those calculations to the the extent that we're trying to figure out what uh, pre-tax pre-provision earnings are. So I think when one looks at it on that basis, um, on a year-over-year basis, our PTPP actually grew by just under 5%, and on a quarter-over-quarter basis, the growth is mid-6%, so quite a bit better than what... uh, the headlines would look at on, uh, on, on, at the top of the house in the way you look at it. I think on the matter of the strategic cards portfolio um, and, and the PCL uh, relating to that, um, if you look on page 26 of our slide where we have uh, for the last few quarters laid out an example that if you had a credit card portfolio for a billion dollars that earned a revenue of $150 million and had PCL of $50 million so that the risk-adjusted profit were 100, and if the sharing arrangements were such that we retained 20% of the risk-adjusted profit and paid to the retailers 80% of that, then from a gap perspective, we would record revenue in the financial statements of 150, PCL of 50, non-interest expenses for the portion that we pay to the to our, uh, to our uh, retailer partners of80 dollars. so we retain 20. In the, in the segment accounting for. US retail, uh, we record our net um, share of that. so retail revenue uh, would be 30, PCL would be 10 and net income would be 20. And in the corporate segment, we record revenue uh, that that our retailers enjoy from that portfolio being 120, their share of the PCL at 40, and then the amount that we pay to them in non-interest expenses is 80. So if it turns out that in a subsequent period, revenue was still 150, but PCL was zero, then what you would get in the corporate segment is revenue of 120 for the retailer partner share, PCL of zero. The net payment would be one hundred and twenty, so our P, our non interest expenses would go up by forty dollars, reflecting the component of the uh, uh, the retailer's share of the of the PCL reduction. so in order to get an apples to apples comparison of uh, revenue to uh, to, to, uh, uh, to expenses on a PTPP or an operating leverage basis we would tend to add back the amount of PCL that is in the corporate segment to our to to, to our expense line. So as I said, I think if you look at that on that basis, um, many, which I think is the right way to look at it, our PTPP has actually been quite strong quarter over quarter and year over year.
8: Just as a follow-up on that, um, what kind of uh, pre-tax pre-provision growth you expect to have for the year as a whole? Is... Under your calculation, that 5%, as you mentioned, is is that something that can be sustained uh, throughout the rest of the year? How do you view that uh, in fiscal 21?
4: I think if you look at fiscal 20, what we have highlighted is the fact that we have a diversified and an integrated business model in U.S. retail banking and Canadian retail banking. And uh, so where in Canada, in particular, where margins have compressed, we have seen the benefit of that coming through the wealth and insurance revenue because we position our bank against the, our Canadian retail customers in a, uh, in a holistic way, that somebody may have a, uh, checking and savings accounts with, uh, and, and credit cards and mortgages with Terry, and they may have wealth products with Leo, and they also may be buying their home and auto insurance from us. So we were thrilled with the fact that through 2020, Canadian retail NIAD grew by 12% year-over-year, which is uh, just a a stunning accomplishment, in my view, in how uh, our customers trust us and how our customer acquisition engine is working. And then, of course, we had very strong uh, wholesale revenues uh, in a period when uh, interest rates have been uh, very low and uh, customers have been taking advantage to... uh, complete their financings and their M&A activities. So I think we uh, really tend to highlight the diversification in our business model and its customer centricity.
1: Thank you. Next question is from Gabriel Deschen from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
9: Uh, Merci. Uh, So a quick clarification here, Uh, Ria. The IDA agreement with Schwab, I think the new fee structure kicked in at the end of last quarter, so this would be the full effect reflected in your results this quarter? Um, yes, that would be correct, because the transaction closed on October 6th, yeah. Okay, and then starting July 1st, that's when Schwab can start guess, sweeping those deposits on a, a $10 billion or so a year to their balance sheet. But since the the amount of deposits is so much higher, it's it's, it's a much longer path to get to to that $50 billion uh, a minimum level i guess uh is that is that how we sh- should be looking at it now
4: yes that's right i think uh, from the time that we announced the transaction to the time that we closed uh, there was a significant uh, increase in ida balances so you are right to which uh, that th- those balances from closing would be to 50 million dollars uh, will will have be- will have become longer and so, in this first period on July 1st, after closing, um, uh, Schwab can take back, if they wish, uh, the amount of the balances as of closing minus, uh, minus uh, plus 10 billion. Uh, so the difference, the, the difference between the balances to 10 billion minus the amount at closing is what they can take on July 1.
9: Okay, I might have to follow up on that, but uh, I got the gist of it. Uh now uh question for Greg. Um the you know, obviously the US has a new uh, administration now. Uh they have a new head of the CFPB as well. And uh I'm just wondering what you're thinking of these days when it comes to potential regulatory actions that, that could have a negative impact on your, your uh your fee income line, similar to you know what we saw after the the, the financial crisis. If there's any uh, whispers of uh, actions taking place there, and even if, if there's not, uh, are you you know taking another look at at how you uh, your your fee structures in the U.S. Um, and and how you're charging for certain services there, and and how that might evolve over the next next year? Because yeah.
7: Gabriel, thank you for the question. And uh, certainly a lot going on in the U.S. these days that we all continue to watch. But what I would, you know, just remind everyone is that, um, you know, whether it was the last administration or eight years before that, or even before that, um, you know, we found a way to continue to grow the bank and add customers and grow revenue and grow the bottom line and continue, most importantly, to take share and service our customers and stack up the J.D. Power Awards that we so much love behind my desk and, and do those sorts of things. And uh, that's, you know, our continued plan, uh, regardless of the environment. I think one of the things that we get called out for is, uh, is some of, uh, you know, our, our fee income drivers. And one of the things we're keenly focused on, given the maturity of the bank that we're building real time,
9: is how do we find
7: other ways to grow fee income? And the good news is we believe we have terrific upside across the U.S. and across segments. Uh, certainly in wholesale, certainly um, in our wealth business that we're, uh, uh, you know, uh, collaborating on uh, with uh, Leo and and how do we leverage this new partnership with Schwab? How do we do more uh, in our in our traditional everyday middle market and commercial banking businesses and small business and treasury management? So, um, yeah, I mean, there'll be puts and takes with every uh, change that occurs. But uh, we do believe uh, we will find ways, most importantly, to add New households and new customers that will blunt any one particular area.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from Ibrahim Punawala from Bank of America Securities. Please go ahead.
10: Hey, good afternoon. I had a question around credit card lending. Uh, one, if you can just talk to your expectations on when. Credit card growth comes back both in the U.S. and Canada. And secondly, talk to us around the risk from these buy now, pay later uh, companies which are emerging. You are a partner with Target, but Target's kind of partnered with one of them called Affirm. So just trying to get a sense, uh, Bharat, like do you see these new companies as a risk to credit card lending and to your business? And to what extent do you see that risk? Thank you.
3: Ibrahim, this is Barrett, and I'm going to pass it on to Terry to talk about the Canadian business, and then Greg perhaps can comment on the U.S. And then I'll come back and provide you an overall view. So Terry, okay, thanks,
0: thanks, Abraham. So uh, let me start with uh, sort of the uh, strengths of the cards business in Canada. So obviously, in the more immediate term, uh, we've seen you know customer liquidity resulting in paydowns. We've seen the COVID impact of Lockdowns and then January is seasonally uh, a lower volume uh, period. Uh, having said that, um, you know, I, I look at a couple of aspects uh, in thinking about the business and its uh, potential to capture pent up demand uh, once economies reopen and activity resumes. Uh, you know, uh, from an acquisition standpoint, uh, if you think about the Canadian cards business, you know, sort of think about half of our customer base as travel and luxury and half of the base as other categories of spend, such as everyday spend uh, and cash back. Uh, you know, we invested over the last number of years and have a very strong lineup uh, against uh, cash back, and that's performing well year over year, despite the circumstances and, and, you know, in light of the circumstances. We've got a very strong partnership with Amazon uh, that is paying, uh, you know, big dividends for us. Uh, And our customers, uh, you know, since uh, the launch of that partnership uh, and there's more opportunity there. And then, obviously, larger ticket purchases uh, in the travel and luxury space uh, have the opportunity to come back. And we have uh, our fantastic partnership that we only uh, launched in November uh, with uh, Air Canada. And, in fact, in January, our TD Aeroplan Infinite Visa card was named the best airline card in Canada And so uh, that, along with our proprietary travel offering, positions us, I think, across the board uh, incredibly well as demand returns. The other piece to think about that uh, is, um, while we have better line of sight now into the economic circumstances, some of the acquisition strategies that we had on pause in 2020, we've resumed, and those will allow us to build balances even I would say during the period where the activity has not returned. Uh, so overall, when I look across the strengths of our offering, uh, obviously we don't know the timing uh, of the uh, rebound, but I believe we're well positioned for the pent-up demand. Uh, maybe just a comment on buy now, pay later. Uh, you know, we have uh, in our M B N A portfolio uh, post purchase. Uh, uh, capabilities in terms of customers being able to put in installment plans, uh, and uh, there are in the U.S. and maybe I'll pass to Greg uh, at point of sale capabilities in this uh, regard.
7: Terry, thank you. I would just say we've certainly saw uh, you know balances come down from their peaks uh, a year ago, Ibrahim, um, and uh, you know as the economy begins to uh, you know heat back up and things begin to open back up and. We're certainly hearing a lot of anecdotal data from that, not only uh, from the folks that uh, are on the economic side, but also our customers directly and businesses. And there's certainly uh, you know, pent up demand to uh, you know, go a little bit back more to normal. And uh, as that activity uh, picks back up again, we'd certainly expect to see you know, card volumes uh, you know, follow suit uh, as folks can get out and about again, especially from a travel and leisure standpoint certainly from a restaurant standpoint in some geographies. Uh, What I would uh, just uh, tack on to the buy now, pay later, we're already in that business effectively. And we have a business called Retail Card Services as part of our portfolio. Uh, It's a couple of billion dollar portfolio. And we partner with uh, national uh, retailers um, and provide point of purchase finance. So it's a business we're certainly staring uh, down. And, uh, and, but it's, it's a business we're already in. And Abraham, this is
3: uh, Barrett. I mean, I, 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 You know, there's no need for me to add uh, more than what you've already heard. Overall, our client know, business is a key business for us. Uh, it's a very important business, and and we're thrilled with you know how our business has evolved in Canada, as to you know what we've become. Yes, we are heavily travel oriented which, you know, when we get off this pandemic, may turn out to be an advantage once again. And, and some of the other work the teams have done, you know, what Terry has done is to, to make us on the cashback card as well, which has been very, very useful through this period. In the U.S., you know, our business is very young. Uh, yes, we have these partnership deals, but, you know, what Greg and his team are really working on is our bank card offering, and, and that is growing, you know, quite quite well. Uh, this is the TD-branded cards, you know, through, through our retail network there. So overall, a very important product. Yes, it's evolving. The whole payment space is evolving very fast, but uh, rest assured, we're keeping up with all those trends and where appropriate, we're making the investments to make sure that we, too, have those capabilities. And given our brand, you know, I expect us to have our fair share of the market.
10: Thanks for
5: taking my
3: question.
1: Thank you. And the next question is from Doug Young from Desjardins. Please go ahead.
11: Hi. Good afternoon. I guess this question is going to be for Terry. Just that, and Riaz as I like mentioned it in his remarks, just the strength in in the wealth and the insurance side was was uh, was very noteworthy. And it looks like I would have expected the PNC insurance to have a really good quarter, given everything that we've seen. And there's a publicly traded comp that we can look at. But it looks like the wealth business was actually the bigger contributor. Anyway, Terry, I'm just hoping you can dig a little bit more into what you saw. Maybe if you can parse out some of the pieces, that would be helpful.
0: Certainly. Thanks for the the opportunity, Doug. So, uh, you know, let me start with insurance since you started there. Uh, you know, we've been investing in this business, uh, and uh, you know, we have a, a both both a phone uh, capability, but a probably industry-leading um, end-to-end capability in this business uh, that we've been investing in, and so we've had strong business growth. Uh, you know, quarter for the year-over-year uh, good claims experience. Um, And, uh, you know, we've been able to manage also, you know, helping customers uh, as they've gone through this difficult time. Uh, What I would say is that, you know, the other element of this business that's unique uh, is uh, our collision centers across the country. So in the auto business, when our customers uh, do have an accident, uh, there are oftentimes, you know, TD centers that can help make that a better experience for those customers. So we've been investing in our capabilities. We are, uh, you know, uh, doing a great job as an online insurer. We have, I think, the business model uh, and capabilities and customer experience for the future. And uh, in Q1, we had uh, record earnings in that business. Uh, On the wealth side, obviously, just uh, strengths across the board. Uh, We did have, uh, you know, uh, the highest wealth asset levels on record uh, across Leo's and my businesses. Our mutual fund results were very strong. Um, And obviously, trading levels uh, continue to be uh, at record levels. It's possible uh, that some of that trading activity could uh, become more normalized, although I think, uh, you know, we do continue to see new uh, investors in this space. uh, And uh, I believe we've got, you know, best-in-class capabilities, not only for them to understand what they're doing, our education and learning capabilities that people take up are helping our investors to uh, understand what they're doing. And and we feel strongly about that capability being available for them, Uh, but also just their ability to uh, interact with us digitally uh, with their advisors or uh, as a handoff from our branch colleagues, uh, we feel like we've got great capability there. Um, We've been adding advisors uh, for uh, Wealth uh, and in my business in the personal bank uh, and through our TD Ready advice, strategy. We really work hard as One T B to help our customers who are often at right now sitting on more uh, liquidity than they had planned for to invest with us for the long term uh, and, and to help them do that uh, in a way that they feel uh, confident. Uh, and you know we have goal assist available for self-directed investors uh, to uh, look at uh, setting up uh, you know, a, a low fee solution uh, to their goal planning. Uh, so uh, very comprehensive. One of the real strengths of TV, has mentioned, is our One TV approach. Uh, and I can tell you that with COVID, while we've needed to manage how many colleagues can be in our retail branches, uh, you know, the colleagues in both Leo, uh, Leo's Wealth Business and Paul's Business Banking Business uh, can't wait to get back into our stores with our branch bankers because that's where the magic happens.
11: And Terry, just a follow-up. You, you don't, you've never broken out how much your online brokerage business contributes to wealth. I would imagine that's where a lot of strength came through, or the broker, yeah, the broker business.
0: So clearly, the online uh, trading, which is reported in our wealth segment, was a strong contributor. But Leo uh, and uh, and we all pay close attention to the other parts of his business, and they're growing nicely as well.
11: Okay, and then Greg, just on the U.S. NIMs, a um, little bit stronger than I would have thought. I, I, is there anything unusual in there? Like, how how do you see this unfold? And I know there's some prepayments, and the PPP is having an impact. If you can provide a little color, that would be
7: helpful. Thanks. Sure. So it is good to see that uh, stabilize. And but like we've been saying, I mean, the pressure that has been on it is because of rates, but it's also the mix of the business and. We believe we're growing good fundamental deposits, and we're going to continue to do that. And uh, we want to take share in that deposit-based business. Um, What I would add on to your question, though, more directly, yeah, you've got uh, uh, some PPP uh, that's in that NIM number, uh, which contributes uh, a little bit to it. Um, uh, But you're also seeing positive uh, uh, margin on the loan growth side. Uh, And positive margins on the the loans we are putting on the books is also helping. So a good news story on that front.
1: Thank you. Once again, please press star 1 on your device's keypad if you have a question. Our next question is from Nigel D'Souza from Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead.
11: Uh, thank you. Good afternoon. I wanted to touch on uh, wholesale banking, and it looks like you had another strong quarter for trading net interest income. And I was wondering if you could provide some color of uh, how you think that would perform in a rising yield environment. So is, is a steepening of the yield curve, do you see that as a tailwind, a headwind, or is that neutral uh, or not that material for trading NII in that segment?
3: Bob, are you on the line?
9: Hi Sam, am, uh, Bert. Uh, hi, Nigel. I, I would say it's uh, you know there's pluses and minuses on it. Uh, steepening yield curve definitely helps on the uh, on the um, on the corporate NII uh, and other things related there to uh, securitization, etc. It can it can have temporary uh, uh, negative impacts on uh, some of the shorter term trading businesses, but net net, I think it would be more neutral.
12: Okay, that's helpful. Thanks for the color.
9: Thanks.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
11: Uh, good afternoon. Uh, maybe, great. Just a clarification question. Um, so, is there going to be? Did you state that there would be an additional 60 million um, in cost to hit the P&L on the um, on the branch closures that you announced today? Correct. And that'll
7: that'll uh, that'll take effect in Q two.
11: Q two. Okay. And um and uh as you did this exercise in the US, I've noticed your um Canadian branch count has been pretty stable out over over the past uh call it two years. Is there any uh opportunities uh you know with COVID to uh rationalize um um the, the branches in, in the Canadian network? Very
0: Yes, so um, let me talk about branches. Uh, obviously, our operating contexts, uh, thank you, Scott, are very different, uh, U.S. versus Canada. Um, and uh, we, like Greg, uh, would every uh, on an ongoing basis look at uh, the network and think about where uh, we might merge, where we, importantly, would open new locations or relocate branches. Um, what I would say in Canada, I mentioned the strength of one TV. Uh, and also, Greg mentioned this. You know, our customers, every channel matters to our customers. Uh, and you know, you will see some, uh, some more modest activity in Canada, more analogous to what you would see from us on an ongoing basis. Our branch network is majoritively urban. In priority urban markets, we have just over 170 billboard locations uh, that drive strong brand recognition and uh, the ability for to house our partners. Uh, to meet customers' needs across all uh, their TV channel and business needs. And again, you know, they are the home to one TV. And through the pandemic, even at times uh, like we're experiencing uh, with lockdowns, customers are coming into the branch uh, and we're meeting their needs. And so we would see it as a, you know, we're pretty well positioned uh, as we think ahead.
1: Thank you. Once again, please press star 1 on your device's keypad if you have a question. And our next question is from Ibrahim Punawala from Bank of America Securities. Please go ahead.
10: Hey, hello again. Uh, I guess uh, just another question, Bharat, in terms of strategically on M&A, when you're sitting on a pile of capital at 13.5%, we've seen transactions happen in the U.S. in the banks and the non-bank space. Uh, TD has generally historically been active and very opportunistic in terms of capital allocation just talk to us in terms of when you look at the us market today uh, do you f- what's your appetite in terms of acquisition and uh, does that all have to wait till we get the green light from the from the osfi to actually uh, deploy capital
3: uh, thanks for the question ibrahim um you know no change in our outlook uh, i think i've i've said this many times before you know we certainly are, uh, you know, open to acquisitions in the U.S. market and in the Canadian market as well, I might add. And the way we think about it is obviously, you know, anything we do has to make strategic sense, financial sense, timing sense, et cetera. Uh, so we are open, and if a compelling opportunity were to present itself, you know, we will look at it very seriously. As you said, you know, we have flexibility because of our a strong balance sheet and capital levels, uh, et cetera. So, you know, we, we would seriously look at anything that we thought was compelling. Um, But, you know, the important point is that, you know, we are not strategically challenged. Our U.S. business is of scale. You know, we are in the markets we want to be in um, uh, with the size and and reach and the brand recognition that we have. It's not as if, you know, that uh, we are spending uh, all our time thinking about, you know, how do we go and spend our capital uh, looking for acquisitions. Uh, But on the other hand, if there is something that makes, strategic sense and financial sense, and obviously we look at it very seriously.
1: Got it, and would you ha- Thank you. All
3: right. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you. And the next question is from Mario Mendonca from TD Securities. Please go ahead.
12: Good afternoon, Riyad. Um If we could just fast-forward three months, and... Um, I, I listened to your explanation for the partner share really carefully, and if we apply that explanation to three months from now, would it be correct to say that unless PTLs and the partner share increase significantly, what we saw this quarter uh, in terms of the difference between operating leverage and pre-tax pre-provision earnings growth will be will, it'll be a, it'll it'll be far more significant next quarter. Specifically, because of the significant increase in performing loan PCL in Q2 2020 related to the partners, aren't are we just sort of set up for another really uncomfortable looking headline number unless, unless we're willing to go through the mental gymnastics of this partner's card? Uh, again, are, are we just set up for another really tough, tough headline number?
4: Yes, Mario, you'd be correct about that, and as uh, I um, highlighted in my remarks, uh, the reason we call out the strategic cards portfolio is just always to keep reminding you of that. But, you know, on page 12 of our sub-pack, where we show you the corporate segment results, I mean, the PCLs there are virtually all in relation to the partner share uh, in the credit card portfolio. And then you can see the expenses that move with that uh, so that it, it, it gives you a decent explanation. So every year, every quarter, as we think about um, uh, PTPP and operating leverage, I, I think to my point earlier that in a diversified model, when margins come back, perhaps uh, uh, other income and wealth and et cetera might be. Uh, might, might be lighter, but if you keep reminding yourself to add back the change in the allowance in the corporate segment to your calculations, I think you'll find that actually it's much, much more consistent, and you'll uh, rid yourself of this pain to uh, keep calculating this. But maybe we'll take also an opportunity to include a slide on that in the future. Right, because
12: I, I built it for myself to understand it, but it, it is by no means something that you can do um sort of off the cuff so yeah I, anything you can do to quarter to make it clear for us would be uh, appreciated thank
4: you yeah and similarly we may take the opportunity we'll consider taking the current calculations that i just mentioned and post them on our website thanks
1: thank you and our last question is from Manny Grauman from Scotia Bank please go ahead
8: Hi, thanks for taking me again. Just a quick question. Terry, I think it was maybe not giving Q4, but Q3, you talked about having fewer branches open than three of your four competitors. Um, is that all back to normal now? Just wanted to check in on, on that in terms of the status of the branches, especially relative to peers.
0: Thanks, Minnie. And yes, uh, we're pretty much reopened. There are onesies and twosies. Uh, and I'm certain that that would be the case uh, across Canada for our competitors as well in terms of just incidents that happen uh, health-related. Health uh, but uh, overall, and probably a good time for me to recognize the fact that, you know, we are all, uh, I think, uh, looking ahead to what we're seeing in the global vaccination success, the success in enhancing uh, and enhancements uh, to treatments and testing uh, enhancements, and those are all, you know, great things for us to think forward for personally and for our businesses. Uh, it's good to remember that our frontline folks uh, have been throughout almost a year now, and continue to be still dealing with you know, a variant uh, in the virus and some of the constraints and ensuring their own and their customers' safety. And so it's a good time for me to thank them uh, for what they've done uh, on behalf of our business, on behalf of
1: Canada. Thank you. Thank you. There are no more questions in the queue at this time. I would now like to return the call to Mr. Bharat Masrani for closing remarks.
3: Thank you very much, Operator. And wow, Ajay, no questions for you. Um, And and I should say to both Mario and many, you know, there's a great question on the partnership, and I know it is counterintuitive that when our expenses go up stemming from our payment to our partners on the credit card portfolio, that's a good thing, and I know that's counterintuitive. So as Ria said, you know, we will provide, you know, more explanation of that in the future so it's more clear uh, for all of you. But overall, you know, very happy with the start uh, to our fiscal year. And yes, it's uh, too early to declare victory against this ter- tragic and terrible pandemic. Uh, but I think, you know, given that the vaccines are rolling out and, and, and there will be bumps in the road uh, going forward, but overall, I, I'd say, you know, we, we, we are headed uh, in the right direction. Uh, so I would like to take this opportunity, like Terry just said, to, to thank our 90,000 colleagues you know, around the world they keep on delivering, regardless of the environment. They keep on delivering for all of our stakeholders, including our shareholders. So thank you. Thank you for everything you do for TD and our shareholders. Uh, with that, uh, folks, you know, nice to uh, have spoken to all of you and look forward to ongoing engagement uh, through the quarter or at uh, quarter and 90 days from now. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lives at this time, and we thank you for your participation.
2: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.